Thank you, Cindy. Uh, we've reached our point in the service where we stand and greet one another um, with the passing of the peace. So let's do that. Well, good morning, church. How is it going for you today? Good? We're here. We're here to worship. This is great. Good to see all your faces. Um, happy Lent to you. Is it happy? I, I don't know what the right term is there. It's just Lent. <laughs> We're in the season of Lent. Uh, it truly is a gift to gather uh, with you this morning, whether in person or online uh, today. May the Lord's grace and peace be with each of you on this, on this day, and may we be encouraged uh, through our worship um, by being with one another this morning. So, quick question for you to start off. Um, late night, uh, you know, after the 10 o'clock news, uh, is it, were you more of a Johnny Carson fan or a David Letterman fan? So let's hear Carson. Any hands for Johnny Carson? That was your... Okay, how about David Letterman? Anyone? I was a Letterman guy myself, right? Uh, so that, that was back when they were still doing their thing. And these days we have options as well. We have a guy by the name of Jimmy Kimmel. Any Jimmy Kimmel fans out there? Not so much. No one here listens to Jimmy Kimmel or watches Jimmy. How about Jimmy Fallon? How about Jimmy Fallon? Anyone? Couple? Or we have other options called Netflix, you know, that didn't exist back when Carson was, <laughs> was around. Okay, so, uh, so uh, Jimmy Fallon has, uh, you know, a couple different skits, different sketches that he does, and one is called Popular Mathematics. Popular Mathematics. And this is a way of trying to make math fun. Okay, who, who thinks math fu is fun anyway? A couple, couple folks like math? Others like, nope, not so fun. Well, a couple examples of what, and these first two examples are from Jimmy Fallon. So what do you get when you take a broken watch, okay, a pair of dice, 
and it equals no time to die. This is the skit. This is the thing that anyone thinks is funny. If you don't, you don't have to watch Fallon, okay? <laughs> Here's another example. Here's another example. Okay, what do you take? An avocado plus, cutting it in half, plus 20 minutes later equals a rotten avocado, okay? Right? <laughs> this, is, this is the thing, right? This is how it goes, okay? A couple examples that I bring, I bring to you this morning is this. What do you get when you have Metamore Mennonite Church plus Roanoke Mennonite Church plus Mennonite Relief Sale equals March 20th Mennonite Relief Sale fundraising lunch. Okay? See how this works. This is, this is popular mathematics. This is making it, we're making it fun. Okay? All right. And finally, we have this. What do you get when you have 1960s uh, Motown band plus the Messiah plus an extreme drought? You get the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The temptations is the, yep, you're welcome. Okay, so that's the introduction. <laughs> so there you go, there you go. Okay, so this past week we began our Lenten journey with our friends from Roanoke Mennonite Church here for our Ash Wednesday service. And the main focus, one of the main focuses of the night was just the idea that Jesus is with us on this journey. Jesus is with us on this journey. And it has been true, and it continues to be true in our Lenten season. Traditionally, when Christians worldwide who follow the church calendar uh, and its wonderful seasons, this season of Lent is typically recognized as a season full of restraint. It's a season of sacrifice. It's a season of maybe perhaps increased confession and or repentance and practicing piety. For it's meant in, to be in the sacred season, uh, to focus, it, the focus is leaving behind the old ways of moving and living and having our being in the world. Uh, we leave behind those through fasting and prayer in order to prepare to be baptized into a new way or a new, fresh devotion to following Jesus. Our series is called Full to the Brim. This series invites us to maybe have a shift of focus, okay? Invites us to trust the promise of our baptism, full to the brim. The reality that God has already claimed us as God's own, and nothing we can do will ever change that. Because of our baptism... And through this series of Full to the Brim, we are invited to allow ourselves to be filled to the brim with God's lavish love, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness that we've already sung about this morning. Um, may it be so in our Lenten journey, Full to the Brim. May we be filled. And may this overflowing love, grace, and mercy then, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. May it spill over and reach beyond ourselves like water as it flows, bringing life and abundance to everything in its path. So this week one uh, of Lent, um, every Lent season begins with Jesus in the wilderness. Um, and it, and our, our theme today is even in the desert, 
even in the desert. May we find that Jesus provides, provides an expansive view of what a full life is. The tempter in our story has an idea of what a full life looks like. One filled to the brim with power, filled to the brim with control, filled to the brim with excess. But Jesus says, no. That ain't it. I'm sure Jesus spoke that way, but that isn't it. That actually isn't living a full to the brim kind of life, the ways that this tempter is seeking to tempt Jesus. My good friend, uh, who's also a spiritual director, Tim Reist, calls Lent a season of returning and rerouting. He says of this season, Lent is an, is, an, is an antidote to the aches of the soul that lead us searching for the good life in something other than Jesus, returning to Jesus and living my life pattern after him is truly what it means to be human. So let us jump into our story today keeping in mind that as we walk in this wilderness together, as God's children, as brothers and sisters in Christ, may we we remember that God is deeply committed to us. God is deeply committed to you. And that God is faithful. God is faithful. And with this reminder may we be then invited to a greater freedom to trust, a greater freedom toward vulnerability, a greater freedom to confess, a greater freedom to repent, to turn, to return, a greater freedom to experience God's love, grace, and mercy to us along the way in the journey together. Now, we have the gift of four different gospel accounts accounting for Jesus' life, um, each serving its own unique purpose, but it's Luke's gospel, today's text from the desert. More than the other three, uh, we, um, Luke really focuses on Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity. Jesus, for Luke, is the example of what it looks like to be fully human. He is perfectly incarnate with all the suffering and hunger and pressure of being human, yet Jesus is also God. Um, Hypostatic union, okay, hypostasis. It's foundation, substance, uh, substance, okay? It's a technical term when you look at Christology to describe the union of Christ's humanity and Christ's divinity in an individual existence, in one existence. Indeed, it is a mystery. Amen? It's a mystery. The most basic explanation of this uh, hypostatic union is that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully human. He is perfectly divine and perfectly human, having two and complete distinct natures at one time. Mystery. And with this idea of being fully human, may I call our attention to um, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, that is Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been, what, tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, yet 
without sin. Yet he did not sin. That's Hebrews 14, 15. We're going to come to 16 a bit later. So with this in mind, we dive, we dive in. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and uh, at the end of them he was hungry. Thank you, Luke, for adding that piece. <laughs> it's like it's a little obvious, but maybe he adds that piece for intention. We'll get to that in a second. Left the Jordan, for Jesus was what, just... What happened in the Jordan for Jesus? Well, Jordan, or Jesus was baptized, and the Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Jesus was full to the brim, full to the brim of the Spirit, and, was, and then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I, every year when I look at this text, I wonder why. <laughs> why? Why does the Spirit do this to Jesus? It's mean. Right? Go to the wilderness. Okay, you've been baptized. You've got the Spirit. Now get out there. It, it just, just seems mean to me, right? Anyone? Anyone else there? Okay. What's the purpose? What's the reason? I'm going to oh, open it up. Anyone? What's, what, what do you suppose might be the reason? What's that? Strengthening. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. Any other reasons? Yeah, yeah. We just got done reading the Hebrews text. Yeah, understanding. Also being tempted in every way. That's good. Yeah, solidarity with human uh, humanity. That's good. I mean, because like, Jesus, we got work to do. People are dying out there. People need healing. Why this pause? Why this pause before going, right? Um. So just in th- you know, after Jesus was baptized, he was sent out to spend time in the, in the wilderness. So over the years, there's many different ideas why this potentially happened, and people think that um, why he spent time out there was it necessary? Uh, and maybe my question, why we might not know, okay? But what we do know is that this wilderness experience was the beginning of a new season for Jesus. That's what we do know. The beginning of a new season for Jesus in Jesus' life. I grew up being taught um, the very negative side of Jesus in the wilderness when Satan came to him and tried to destroy him, take him out, even before he could live into his calling, um, um, before he even gets started in his ministry. But now I, maybe we could see it a, di- a bit different. I see it a bit different. I see Jesus' time in the wilderness as a, as a kind of communion a communion, a being with um, his father, a communion in the wilderness that taught Jesus about himself, but then prepared him, I think this was said, prepared him for his coming ministry and journey. Um, Another thing I'd like to note, just in terms of being led by the Spirit out to the wilderness, uh, I don't think that Jesus then, it's like the Spirit escorted him out and said, I'll be back in 40 days. Good luck. And then just... Exit stage left, right? I don't, I don't think that this is, I think that Jesus, I think the Holy Spirit, I think the Spirit remained. I think the Spirit abided with Jesus, remained. They were together. There was communion uh, with Jesus. And likewise, for our, this Lenten journey for us, may we know that the Spirit remains. 
that we do not take this alone. And so may we be fully awake, looking back to last week's sermon, fully awake to the Holy Spirit as it guides us and leads us into this sacred season as we move towards the cross and resurrection. Verse 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell, these, uh, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, because a really good steak satisfies as well. I love that section. That's my favorite section over there. Thank you. Uh, no, but man shall not live on bread alone. The first temptation is, it seems to be about food, but I don't think it's about food. It seems to be about food, but I don't think that's it. Uh, I think that this, um, I think um, this is about in all the ways in which in the human condition we experience hunger, not just in our bellies. All the ways in the human experience that we have hunger. Remember, uh, Jesus is empty in his stomach. He hungers. Luke mentions this specifically. I think it's helpful. And I think that we too know what it's like to be empty. I think that we, too, know what hunger feels like. Uh, Man shall not live on bread alone. For when they eat, they shall hunger again. Uh, When I experience emptiness, um, I have sought uh, the need to feed and to fill my emptiness. That is, feed my hunger with things that simply are not life-giving and things that simply will not sustain me for the long haul. One thing I see in Jesus here is that he doesn't deny his hunger. Um, no, I'm not really that hungry, Satan. Uh, no, he, I think Jesus actually knows of his hunger and he accepts it. Uh, though I think with the help of the Holy Spirit, Jesus denies this temptation to satisfy himself with that which will not sustain him. For the journey. Jesus knows that God will provide. And it is through his Father where the experience of being the experience of being fully human is possible. So I want to pause here for a moment with this first temptation. And just look backward in history and look to the temptations. The, this temptation mirrors some of the very same temptations that God's people felt after liberation from Egypt and Pharaoh. For the Israelites in the desert, they had what? They had manna that God provided uh, for them and the right amount of manna for each and every day. And then bringing the text into this story, again, with Jesus, Jesus was tempted to provide for himself instead of trusting in God's good provision. So then we're invited, as we pull it even further to this moment, is how might this temptation surface in our life? Um, In what ways have we put trust in others in ourselves or others, rather than on God. So let's just sit with this question for a bit.
the story continues, the devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, uh, he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. The second temptation is an interesting one. I think one shedding light on the dynamics of power and control, shedding light on agency and authority. The tempter is willing to give power and control if Jesus bows down and worships him. The tempter, however, um, is tempting Jesus with a worldly power in an instant, that is the present moment, because empires rise and fall. This, this worldly power, this power of, a, of, of dominance, um, a conquering kind of power, and Jesus is simply not interested. He is not interested. Perhaps Jesus knew that the world wasn't even the tempters to begin with. Perhaps he had in mind Psalm 24, verse 1. Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Maybe Jesus had this on his mind and heart. Nice try, Satan. It's not yours. Okay? Nice try. Uh, the tempter's offer, uh, one might note, is also rather windy. He kind of goes into, like, I have all this authority. I'm so cool and everything, right? And then Jesus responds to that with just nine words in the Greek. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil is long-winded, but Jesus is short and dismissive. He's not there to negotiate with the tempter. He is not there to negotiate to make any deals. And so we pause a second time just um, for this temptation. In what ways have I succumbed to temptation, a temptation for power and control instead of living in the reality that God alone reigns over the earth and everything and all who live in it? And finally, uh, the text concludes with this. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up uh, in, in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord God, your, uh, the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished tempting all his tempting, I think there's more than just three. Opinion. He left him until a, a more opportune time. Uh, the temptation, this temptation can actually be about many things, but one of the things I see in this text is actually uh, related to identity. Identity. Um, if, if you are the son of God. If. Remember, Jesus came, came from where right before this? Well, um, uh, right before this, it was his baptism. And what happens at, God, at his baptism is that there's a voice from heaven. This is God, the Father, says, You are my son whom I love. 
with you I am well pleased. Jesus knows who he is. It's a question of identity. Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus allows his identity to govern his life. Uh, Jesus allows his identity as God's son to, to, to stand, to respond, to succeed against this tempter and his or her plans. This tempter, this demon, this evil spirit is inviting Jesus to doubt, is inviting Jesus to question, is in that in, inviting Jesus to reconsider his identity. If. If. I think this tempter seeks to do, uh, what, what this tempter seeks to do uh, with Jesus, I think he also seeks to do with God's children, including me and including you. And this question of identity, I just appreciate Nadia Boltzweber and how she says it. It says, identity. It's always God's first move. Before we do anything wrong, before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as his own. But almost immediately, other things tried to tell us who we are and to whom we belong, name it capitalism, the weight loss industrial complex, our parents, kids at school, they all have a go at telling us who we are, but God can, uh, only God can do that. Only God can do that. Everything else is a temptation. Everything else is a temptation. Maybe demons are defined as anything other than God that tries to tell us who we are. Jesus' true identity is, is, is that he is God's son. And the tempter is seeking to have Jesus doubt or question that if. So we pause a third time. Has the tempter sought to um, have us question our identity as God's son or daughter? Do we need to be reminded of our own baptismal identity as God's child? And might that truth help us to say yes to Jesus when we experience temptation? So how are we to withstand temptation? I think the path of Jesus marks our way, marks the way. Brother, sister, <clears throat> you may be in a wilderness, but it doesn't mean that it's an empty wilderness. Glory is still to be found there. Sacredness, even when it's uncomfortable, even if you, it seems like you're alone, even if you may be even a little bit afraid. Near the beginning of the sermon, I shared a Hebrews text 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, Jesus is our high priest. So we conclude with the very next verse, because Jesus is indeed our high priest, tempted in every way. Then, because of this, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence. So that in our Lenten 
our Lenten journey, we receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Because it's even in the desert, friends, that we can experience this mercy and grace full to the brim. Thank you, Eric. Um, yes, just as I reflect on these temptations, I've always thought of them as being temptation to take God's place, to manipulate God, to misuse power, like Adam and Eve being tempted to eat off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But maybe, Eric, I like what you said here. Maybe the underlying temptation here really is to be tempted that God is absent and not present and we're tempted to be afraid. that God does uh, walk with us. Um, this has been a difficult uh, week with the situation in uh, Ukraine. As we pray uh, and other uh, situations we face, as we think about these, let's turn to our call to confession and uh, it's in the bulletin and our prayer of confession. I'll read this call to confession. Friends, we worship a God who doesn't keep score and doesn't hold grudges. We worship a God who invites us into a richer faith, a deeper love, a more compassionate existence with a million chances to try again. So let us speak truth into our lives, asking for God's help where we need it. Let us pray the prayer of confession together. 
Holy God, when we think that expansive life is about power, Gracious Creator, when we think that expansive life is about material wealth. Gracious Author, when we think that expansive life is about control. Teach us to live as you live. Forgive us when we don't. Gratefully we pray. Steve has the microphone, please. This is your opportunity to contribute to the service. If you have a prayer request or a praise, please raise your hand. Anna Tiemann. I would like to say prayers for Michael, uh, his vertigo, his back, and um, that's the reason why he's not here this morning. God, we pray for Michael, again, dealing with this vertigo. Uh, pray for discernment and wisdom and healing in your mercy, Lord. Hear our prayer. David Ewart. Joy. We have our family son, his wife, and three daughters with us this morning. And also a request, one of our circles in our Snyder Village circle who died yesterday. He leaves a widow in a rather vulnerable place. So pray for Mary Lou as she mourns the loss of her husband, Glenn. Give thanks for Dave and Karen's family being with us. Welcome uh, uh, for this time. And also we pray for Mary Lou, uh, Dave and Karen's Snyder Village Circle, and loss of her husband, Glenn. Pray for comfort uh, in your mercy, Lord. Here. Cindy Davis. Uh, could you please pray for my daughter-in-law, Rachel? Uh, she's due any moment, and um, she has an infection, so that um, they can deliver the baby a healthy one. Pray for Cindy, Cindy's daughter-in-law, Rachel, and her family. Pray uh, during this difficult time for healing and for wisdom for those taking care of her. And we pray for safe and safe delivery. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Hey, Sears. Thank you all for the prayers for Judith and for our future family. Uh, this was a freak of a week uh, when he was being moved to uh, therapy. And that was just one of the gaming steps. After that, um, they will have to make decisions about treatment. But I know he's doing well in the hospital. But we still need your prayers. We need a miracle. Okay, we're going to just take a moment here to uh, remember Judah and uh, Cody and Abby, the other two siblings, uh, 
and Ron and Jean who are uh, providing care. Um, as Kay said, Judah is about two hours now from where they live. And so the parents are taking turns going uh, to be with their other children, being with him and then back home with their other children. Um, Ron texted me that Judah is progressing well with eating and movement, so we give thanks for that, some uh, improvement. But as Kay said, this is a time of discerning what treatment and where. And um, I think the considerations are chemotherapy and radiation. Um, Ron said, uh, points for prayer now are for Judah to begin keeping food down and regaining weight and strength. So, um, God, we bring to you uh, this family and uh, we pray that they will know that we are praying for them today. I'm sure that is the case. We pray that Judah will be able to uh, regain strength, keep food down. We pray for wisdom as they discern future steps. We pray for endurance uh, as